Good morning. My name is Zacharias Ben Haddad. Please do not call me Zach, baby, or hey, daddy. It's disrespectful. For, forgive me if I'm a little nervous. It is not often someone from the first century gets to talk to people from the 21st century. And I see you've put up a picture to make me feel at home, but thank you very much. For 20 centuries, where did the time go? I must have been having a really good time, don't you think? <laughs> Many things have changed. So much so that it was not easy for me to get here today. None of the normal camel routes were operating. And you wouldn't believe how I did get here. A, a jet plane? But then, no, you, you wouldn't believe it. I scarcely believe it myself. I, uh, I, I want to tell you just a little bit about myself. I, I lived south of where the holy city Jerusalem used to be. My grandparents were... Uh, Jews who converted to Christianity through the ministry of Philip the Evangelist. I had two boys named John and Thomas and a girl named Mary and a lovely wife named Anne. And now you know uh, who I am at least a little bit. You know, it is good that people of the 21st century still know how to smile. It makes me maybe a little bit less nervous. But who wouldn't be nervous speaking on such an important day as this? I was very impressed that the people of this century have a special day set aside to honor fathers. That must please our God. For one of his commandments, one of the ten, was honor your mother and your father. And such honoring must please him because he attached uh, to it promises of many good things. We had no such day, but we did have the commandment, and so we tried to honor our parents every day. But a special day would have been a good thing. But I must confess that I'm also a little nervous for another reason. I am not so sure that I should be speaking to you about fatherhood. I am a father, but I have not always been a very good one. I was not a terrible one. I, I was just not a good father. I speak to you not as a father with unbroken record of successes, but as one who has failed and who was a failure and didn't even know it for a long time. But God is merciful, as you will see from my story. There's a, a story that Jesus has told that has some similarities to my story. You refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. The young man wanted his inheritance before his father died, and he took it, and he went to a foreign country, and he, he lived in an awful way and wasted his entire inheritance. And eventually he went back to his father. If I were to give my story a title, I would call it On the Brink of the Prodigal Cliffs. You know, it is a very great honor to be a father. But one thing I have learned is that when God gives a man an honor, he gives him an equal responsibility to match it. You are aware, aren't you, of Paul, what he said in the letter to the Ephesians. It is from God our Father that all fatherhood derives its name. Fathers are to be like, we might even say they are to look like God. It is a big responsibility. And those who bear it well honor God in the process, and those who do not, not only fail as fathers, 
but bring dishonor to God. It is a momentous thing to be a father. We we are not training for it either. In fact, we who are fathers do not always want the honor because the responsibility is too great. But if we are fathers, we have no choice about the responsibility. You may run from it. You may desert your child and your family. Many men have, and we know the heartache that comes from that. But that responsibility was laid at your feet. It was you who turned from it. To father a child is to incur the responsibility and God's order they may not be separated. Uh, but mostly, even though men may fear the responsibility, few run from it. Instead, many men do what I did for so many years. We, we simply do not pick up the burden. It lays there at our feet, and we walk around it first one way and then another, and we trip over it. Sometimes for years we nudge it with our foot a little bit to see if it's still there and if if it is still heavy or maybe it has gotten lighter so we might pick it up. But mostly it just sits there, getting heavier, so it seems all the time it doesn't move. There is only one thing to do. Get our back under it and carry the load. But I will tell you this. Once we have made up our minds to carry it, we will find that it was not as heavy as we had thought. And if we look closely, we will see that Jesus is right there with us, helping us to carry it. Unfortunately, it is too easy to be content with being called a father without ever really acting like a father. We can be like the general in the army, wanting to be saluted but failing to lead in the hard times. We have the uniform, so we must be saluted. But what is inside the uniform? For me, for a long time, there was little in that to salute. I am a farmer with many responsibilities, and, and you know what that's like. There being many business people here and people with important jobs. I grew wheat. I had a few head of cattle. I worked hard. I supported my family well. Indeed, we had enough laid day that we could have a few servants. I, I could hold my head up. I took charity from no one. I would have said that made me a good father. The truth is, I never thought anything else about it. But supporting the family, that is the very beginning of being a father. It is only one step on the long race of fatherhood against the evils of this world, field, or family. The field is there to support the family, but, but sometimes... They seem to be in competition. I I remember a time when I was planting with the servants out in the field and my youngest son came running up to me crying, Daddy, Daddy, I, I cut my finger, look. Go home, my son, I said to him. I can't do anything for you here. And his little face fell as he walked away and he said, Oh, yes, you could have. You could have kissed it like Mommy does. As I said, I never gave much thought to what it meant to be a father until one day a traveling preacher came to town and he talked about a man who lived 
In the days when my grandfather was a youth, he told us about John the Baptist. Everyone knew of the Baptist, especially Christians. The preacher said that when John was born, it was prophesied about him that he would turn the hearts of the fathers towards their children. What a strange thing, I thought, that fathers should be so singled out. What about mothers? Of course, mothers give their full attention to the children. That's their job. They work inside the home. We work outside the home. And I, I comforted myself with that thought. But that was the very first arrow which God used to pierce my heart to make me begin to be aware that maybe I was not quite the father that I should be. You know, I wonder, in a society where most of the mothers worked outside of the home, if there ever could be such a thing, would the Baptists have been given the charge of turning the hearts of the mothers to their children? Still, we men are more goal-oriented and less willing to heed the God-given emotions that are in our hearts than our women are. And we would be further away. We would be further down the path. We would be in need of an even louder call to call us back if the women by our side were not already pointing us to the way and what was most important. My children grew, and I continued to farm, having good years and bad years, of course. My youngest son never came out to the field again to show me a cut finger or anything else. He began to be a bit of a problem. In fact, he became more and more of a problem. My, well, my wife used to say we didn't get along very well because we were so much alike. Like father, like son, she would say, after one of our many arguments. You know, I, I never really liked it when she said that. <laughs> Made me feel like it was partly my fault and I was partly to blame. Well, Thomas continued to be a source of irritation to me. But you know, when I really began to worry, it may sound funny, but I began to be concerned when he was uh, complaining about going to church. Now, I know many kids go through that, but it seemed to me that he was rejecting the faith to get at me. And I remember that it was at that time that I read something. Here, I, I want to read it to you. Will you listen to this? To our forefathers, our faith was an experience. To our fathers, our faith was an inheritance. To us, our faith is a convenience. To our children, our faith is a nuisance. To our children, our faith is a nuisance? How could that be? And yet it sounded strangely familiar. For me, for me, was my faith anything more than merely a convenience? Maybe I could say it was inheritance, but not an experience. I could not say it to myself that I had truly experienced the work of God in my life ever since at least I became a Christian. 
It was really almost a, almost just a lifestyle. But God working in my heart, speaking to me, guiding me, convicting me, even answering my prayers, I could not say that to myself. But certainly I could not say it to my children. If I had, my oldest, who was very obedient boy and would have accepted what I said. He really wanted to please his daddy, even if his daddy wasn't much of a father. But I know what my youngest son would have done. He would have challenged me. I can just hear him saying, yeah, prove it. What makes you so different? And in my heart, I knew I could not have answered, or rather, I would have answered as I always had by pulling rank. I'm your father. Don't you talk to me like that. My youngest son wasn't bad. He didn't get into trouble. I just knew I was losing him. and That broke my heart. I, I could still see in him. I could look at him and I could see that little boy face and that big smile that would come on his face when he would climb up into my lap. But I knew he was drifting from God and I was afraid for all of the heartache that he would be in for. And I knew that it was at least partly my fault. I cannot speak about other men. I know many men, good men who have been good fathers whose children have walked away from the faith. When Jesus told the parable, he did. There's no indication that the father had done anything wrong. For you see, our children will make their own choices. I'm speaking about me. I knew in my heart that I was not doing enough to help my son make the right choices, to choose the right road. I decided that I would try to be a better, a good father. And I was surprised that I even thought that. You see, my heart was turning to my children. I reasoned that God is a father and the best of fathers. And so I began to read what the Bible had to say about that. What was, what is God the father like? And the first thing I discovered was at least a little bit comforting. Uh, he, God, disciplines his children. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. I did discipline my children. That I did better than my wife. But I also know from the book of Hebrews that I did not always discipline my children for their good, but because sometimes I was angry. Looking back, though, I know overall that that discipline was good. I also know this. In looking back, that I could not have told you anything else that a father should do for his children than those two things that I was already doing, providing for their needs and disciplining them when they went astray. Yes, I, I, I vaguely knew that I was responsible for their spiritual formation, and I could have said that, but I didn't really know what that meant. 
I could earn a living. I could farm. I could be firm and disciplined. Those things I understood. But how does one help a child grow spiritually, especially if one isn't growing himself? I tried family oftentimes. They were a disaster. To tell the truth, uh, all three of the children hated them, and I think I dreaded that time more than the children did, but not as much as my wife. It was the worst hour of our day, sitting there on those hard benches. And finally, harvest time came. We were so busy, the children were in bed before I got home, and it was a convenient stopping point, and we never started back again. I'm sorry to say... I will say this, now that I have grandchildren, I do a family altar time whenever they're with me. And I do it with much more success. But I keep it short and sweet and make it as much fun as I can. But more importantly than all of that, I make it real. Because it is real to me. I provided for my son's needs, my daughter's needs. I disciplined them as they needed. I did what I could for their spiritual formation. I, I took them to church. But I was still losing my youngest. And as I began to study what God was like as a father, I was amazed at one of the things I discovered. One of the things that I found out is that God has set out to make something out of us. He does not merely keep us out of hell. He is making us fit for the kingdom of heaven. As Colossians says, God the Father qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He is making us into the image of his son. That is much easier than making a man into a farmer, a good farmer. It is much easier to do that than it is to make any farmer into a good man. That can be said about any occupation, including preachers. <laughs> Many a man has set out to make his son into a farmer or a lawyer or a doctor. That is easy enough to do. God has set himself a hard task of making farmers and lawyers and doctors and even preachers into good men. That is the goal that we should have for our children, to see them to become good men and good women. What is more important to us? Good grades or honesty? A good job or integrity. But you know, if I had discovered that truth all by itself, it would have meant no more to me than that I was responsible for my children's spiritual formation. But I was, I was beginning to realize that truth. God also revealed something else to me. Like Father like son was not just a cliche it's more like a proverb it was true of Jesus at least 
That's what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and 8. Listen to what he said there. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. You see, whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be or not, what we will impart to our children is what we are. So what did I learn? I learned that if I want my children to grow up to be good men and good women, I must first be a good man myself. I must stay close to God, the only one who is good. Long ago, I remember a dear friend saying, the best thing I can do for someone else is to be right with God myself. Fathers, that is especially true for you and your children. Our Heavenly Father cares for our needs. He disciplines us. He is making something out of us by imparting to us what He is. What is that? What is He like? But listen to some of the things that the Bible says about the Father and what he does for his children. He loves us, John 3. Encourages us and gives us hope, 2 Thessalonians 2. He gives us peace. He blesses us, Colossians and Ephesians, both chapter 1. He gives good gifts, Matthew 5. He is merciful and compassionate, Luke 6 and Psalm 103. He is forgiving, Luke 15. It is true that he sometimes demands hard things of us, the hardest of things even. But he is always there with us by our side. Mark 14, John 16. And he knows us intimately. Luke 10 and Psalm 139. Which of those things, fathers, do we do for our children? Do we encourage them? Do we give them hope? Do we bless them? Do we give them peace? When they err, do we show them forgiveness? Do we ever show them mercy? When we ask things of them that are hard, are we standing right there by them? Do they know we always love them? Do we ever just tell them? Do we know who they are, the things that they like, and what interests them? Are we or are we becoming that kind of person that does those kinds of things? When we begin to do those things, we begin to become a little bit more like the father of all fatherhood. And we will give our children their best chance. You know, my story has a much happier uh, ending than that of the prodigal son, which Jesus told. As wonderful it is for a wandering child to come home, it is far better for him never to have left in the first place. 
My son never did leave. He never wandered, thanks be to God. But I remember one summer evening after dinner when the time was cool, the evening was nice, there was a small breeze blowing. It was a time after uh, Thomas and I just had a confrontation. And I went out into the back, to the swing that I used to sit on with my wife and the children when they were smaller. The gentle breeze was blowing. And I looked to the northeast, and I could see a road going up over rice and between two trees and going down the other side. Now, if I were to go to Jericho, that is the road I would take, the Las Vegas of my day. And I looked at that road, knowing where it led, not just the city, but what it meant to love a city like that. And I began to imagine what the father of that prodigal son must have felt. I thought of my child leaving me one day and setting out on that road. I imagined what it would be like to watch him walking up that rise and between those two trees and down the other side until he disappeared. And I wept. How often would a father like that. The father of a prodigal son sit there on that swing looking between those two trees. How often would he be sitting there hoping to see someone come up over that ridge and when he did see someone come that way, how hard would he try to discern the features of that person to see if it were his long lost son what would such a man give to be able to get up out of that swing one day and to run and embrace that man, that man who would be dirty and in rags coming back to him and embrace him because it was his son? What will I give, do, say, be to keep my son or my daughter from the heartache of the prodigal. What would you do? As I said, my story is happier than the one Jesus told in Luke 15. I, I mean, Jesus told my story too, you understand. He, he was the one that made it all possible. My children responded to the things that I was doing, or at least trying to do. It wasn't that we didn't have some bad times. I wasn't perfect, but God took the little that I had and he made it enough. It was a long process, but God has the time. And when he wants to make an oak, he takes a hundred years for a squash. He only needs a couple of months. But God was making an oak and with time came strength. Sometimes God gives us a little award kind of like a plaque on an office wall, but better. You can't touch it, but it's real. It doesn't hang on a wall. It's written instead on a heart. God gave me such a thing. 
One time, a long time after I began carrying that weight of my fatherhood, I overheard my two boys talking with some other boys. They were talking about the Bible in which translation they liked best. And the one boy said he liked the Septuagint, and tradition held it that was translated by 70 scholars into everyday language. And another boy said that he liked the Hebrew because it was in the original language, although he only spoke Aramaic himself. And was interested to hear what my children would say. And after a little silence, my oldest spoke up and he said, I like my father's translation the best. He puts the word of God into practice every day. And my youngest said, yes, it is the most convincing translation I have ever seen. To God. God be the glory. If ever such a thing can be said about you, then I could give you this blessing and know that it would be true. Happy Father's Day. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a faithful Father. Thank you that you're patient, kind, and loving and good. Thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You walk with us our whole life long. And you redeem the days. Bless every man here who's a dad or granddad. Help them to walk with you. And for moms and grandmoms too, bless them. For the sake of the children that you love. In Jesus' name. So if I see...